let's continue on in our Waiting for Arrival series. Back in November of 2019, I headed off on my annual spiritual retreat. Uh, I have built this rhythm, this pattern of taking off every November for about two, three days. And uh, part of it is to just kind of unplug, to spend some extra time in, in scriptures and in prayer. But also it's to pray about, consider, and begin to plan what I'm going to be preaching for in the next year. So just thinking through all of the Sundays of the, the coming year. And, and so praying, God, where are we as, as a church and so what passages of scripture do we need to study to move us forward as a church? So 2019, I'm all excited for my, my retreat. I, I get to uh, the solitude cabin at Pine Lake uh, Camp and uh, I got, uh, had a great day. I got to hike around the, the lake there at the Pine Lake State Park. I, I spent some time in scriptures. I, I take along a, a book and got extra time in a book and it was a, it was a really good day. So then Thursday, I wake up, and I make myself some breakfast and uh, spend some time in scriptures. And then I open up my laptop, and I, I get my, you know, preaching calendar out, and I'm getting things all set. And next thing I know, I begin to cry. And it isn't because I was feeling overwhelmed by God's grace and God's goodness. No, I began to cry because I had no idea how in the world I was going to get the energy to begin to put together 52 more Sundays. I knew I was tired going into this retreat. I didn't know I was that tired. I suddenly found myself wondering, am I going to be able to make it through the next year? And so I came back, confessed what happened on my retreat to the elders, and just said, guys, I need more than just another 48-hour retreat. I need more than a one-week vacation. I'm asking for a sabbatical. I'd been at this for 11 years. Now, in Riverwood speak, we'd only, we were only about five years old at that time. But from what my family and I had been through, it, has been, it had been an 11-year journey at that point, and I was tired. So I just said, guys, I need like four weeks, maybe six weeks. Otherwise, I don't know if I'm going to have the energy to be able to continue, and I don't want to quit because I'm so passionate about what God is calling us to do. Well, these guys were so incredible and so generous. They, after praying, came back and said, Aaron, we want you to take two months. And so right there in November of 2019, we planned for summer of 2020, June and July, for me to pull out. Now, little did we know that a building would pop up on our radar. I started wondering, am I going to have to like set this aside? And they said, no, Aaron, God called us to the sabbatical before the building came up. He knew about this. We're going to trust him. So you take your sabbatical. We'll continue to move things forward with the building. Well, then in March of 2020, you all know what happened. Everything shut down and I began thinking, oh, no. Am I going to have to move my sabbatical because I'm going to have to stay attentive and help Riverwood through this? And the elders looked at me and are like, Aaron, you go away. Don't come back until August. All right. We got this. And they did. The Sunday team and elder team were amazing. And, and that ended up being such a good retreat. I mean, a good sabbatical. That's what allowed me to have the energy to come back and just be like, yes, I'm ready to do this. Let's keep going. When I took off in November of 2019 to Solitude Cabin, I had no idea that what I needed wasn't just a 48-hour retreat. What I needed was a nine-week break. But as soon as I got on that break, about two weeks in, it was like I could begin to breathe again. I could begin to think again. I began to have joy again. And I suddenly realized this is what I needed. Have you ever had a moment when you had no idea that's what you needed, but as soon as you received it, it was like an aha moment. Now, it, it probably wasn't a sabbatical, 
but maybe it was like a drink of water. You had no idea you were that thirsty, but as soon as the cup touched your lips, you, you like couldn't stop. Or maybe it was deeper, like it was a reconnection with a friend. You had no idea how desperately you needed to have that conversation. But as soon as it happened, you found yourself so thankful and grateful going, that's what I needed. In our Advent series, Waiting for Arrival, we've been seeing the ancient Jews looking and longing for a prophet, a priest, and a king. They were looking for a prophet who would be in the likeness of Moses. They were longing for a priest who would be in the order of Melchizedek, and they wanted a king who would be in the line of David. But what they didn't realize was that what they really needed wasn't just a prophet who would declare God's truth. It wasn't just a priest who could represent the people to God and God to the people. And it wasn't just a mighty king who could help overthrow the Roman Empire. Deep down, what they really needed was God himself. Today, we're going to kind of wrap up this series. We're technically wrapping it up on Christmas Eve this coming Saturday. But today, we're going to see how today's passage helps us see those things that people have been longing for, but how really it's ultimately found in Christ. So if you brought a Bible, I invite you to open it up to the book of Lamentations. Lamentations chapter 3. The book of Lamentations is a unique little book. It's this collection of poems that are some of the saddest poems you have ever read. Like they make a Taylor Swift album sound really, really happy. Right? These things are just, it's, it's like ancient emo music. Right? They are so sad. The reason it's so unique is it's this little tiny book smashed inside of the major prophets. If you don't know, the Bible is kind of divided up in these sections. Your first five books are the Pentateuch, or also known as the Law. Then you go to the books of history, the books of poetry. Then you get to the major prophets and the minor prophets. Minor prophets, not because they're of less importance. Their books are a lot shorter. They knew how to say things in, in, in a briefer time. Uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, those guys are like me. They just kept going on and on and on and on. But smashed in between Jeremiah and Ezekiel is this little tiny book of poems. You'd wonder, well, why isn't it with the other books of poetry? That's because it's written by Jeremiah. You read Jeremiah's book and you hear his prophecies warning the people that if they do not turn around, if they do not seek God, God is eventually going to send the Babylonians. Now, you have to realize he'd been saying this through Isaiah, through Jeremiah. He'd been saying this for like a hundred years. It wasn't like the people messed up one time and God's like, well, I'm going to spank you with Babylon. No, it, it, this was like a long, ongoing warning after warning after warning. And one of the last prophets to do it is Jeremiah. But unfortunately, Jeremiah has to see his prophecies come true. Babylon comes, invades, overthrows the people, and takes them into exile. And because he's a writer, he begins to write words like this. You do not have to turn to this. This is, uh, uh, we're going to head to Lamentations 3. But here's how he starts his book of poetry. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow has she become, she who was great among the nations, she who was a princess among the provinces, has become a slave. She whips bitterly in the night, with tears on her cheeks, among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her, they have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and hard servitude. 
She dwells now among the nations, but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. And on and on and on goes the lament. Imagine for a moment, somehow Russia is able to leap over all the other states and land in Iowa, defeats our National Guard, sorry, Ed, kills off half of our friends, and carts the others back to Russia. And just a handful of us are left to now have to farm the entire land, and any of the crop produced are going to get shipped over to Russia to feed the Russian people. Yeah, you'd be pretty sad. And if you are a writer, you would probably start to pin some poems that would be really, really emotional. You'd be weeping. This is why Jeremiah is nicknamed the weeping prophet. You would also be wailing. That is why the Septuagint, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Uh, the, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. That's why it's often called the Hebrew scriptures. It, the Septuagint is the Greek translation. In the Septuagint, the book of Lamentations is called Wailings. This is weeping. This is wailing. This is lamenting because my friends, my family, my countrymen have been killed or taken away. And I've been left behind. And right in the midst of this incredibly dark, sad poem is this light, this reminder, this little beacon of hope, this gem. It is light in the darkness. And that's what we're going to study today, because I believe these verses not only help us see that longing we have for that prophet, priest, and king, but ultimately it's going to reveal our longing for God. So if your Bible is open there to uh, Lamentations, flip to Lamentations 3. We're going to be studying verses 22 through 26 today. Lamentations 3, starting at verse 22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So, Heavenly Father, we have now read these scriptures but it is far more important for us to understand them. So Lord, I pray that you'd help me to be a faithful teacher today, that I would teach exactly what you want me to say, that it wouldn't be about what I've prepared, but what you want to say in this moment. But God, also, I pray you'd open the hearts and minds and ears of every single person, whether they're here with us, they're online, or listening to the podcast later, that you would help them to see your heart for them and how you have created them for union with you. And may we then feel called follow you, to give ourselves fully to you, not because I did a great job today or, or because we're it, it, together in church and we're hearing some great music, but we hear your call because you are God, you are good, you love us, you are for us, and you want us with you because you've created us to be with you. So Lord, help us to learn that, hear that, be reminded of that now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. One of the... Uh, a, well, not the most popular, one of the popular techniques that the ancient poets used was acrostics. 
Most of you, I realize, know what an acrostic is, but just in case you don't, uh, it, it's where like you take a word and 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 uh, each letter of the word is the start of each line. Uh, kids love doing acrostics, you know, for Mother's Day cards. You know, they write mom down the side, and then you know, like she's marvelous. Uh, what's an O word? Outrageous. Um, I'm not good at. Uh, clearly, I'm not good at acrostics. I'm not a poet. But anyway, so, so you get the idea. In in ancient uh, Israel, many of the prophets would use the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, some of the Psalms, a couple of the Psalms we studied this past summer, Psalm 34, Psalm 37, those were acrostic poems. Uh, the longest Psalm in, uh, in the Bible, Psalm 119, that is actually a super long acrostic poem. Well, uh, uh, Jeremiah uses that here in Lamentations. In fact, he uses uh, four times. Chapters 1, 2, and 4 are acrostic poems where each verse is the, the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, the Hebrew alphabet is comprised of 22 letters. And so if you are, have your Bible open there, you can look and you'll see chapters 1, 2, and 4 are exactly 22 verses. Interestingly enough, chapter 5 is not an acrostic poem. However, it also has 22 verses. But in chapter 3, he does something a little different. Rather than each line being the start with the next Hebrew letter, it's every third verse. Now, we can't fully blame Jeremiah for this. Uh, the, the verse numbers, chapter divisions, those all came much later, all right? So really, we should be blaming the dudes who went through and decided, oh, we should number these things. I'm thankful they numbered them. It makes it way easier for us to find things. Like, I can tell you, hey, turn to Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22, and you know where to navigate to. If we didn't have those things, it would be really awkward. I mean, we'd spend half an hour just to, for each of us to find it all, and then we could all read together. So I'm grateful for them, but Jeremiah didn't do that specifically, and yet I believe there's something here. Because chapter 3 is different. The others are 22 verses. This is 66. So right here at the heart of this book of lamentations, of these weepings and wailings, we get this reminder, this bright spot. That God is with us. What we see here is the longing that we've been seeing throughout this series. This passage shows us that, that part of us longs for a prophet. In fact, if you look there at verse 25, it says that the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. A prophet is the one who comes to declare they're a spokesman for God. Jake did a great job kicking off our Advent series, helping us see that, that what the people wanted was a prophet out of the line of light, the likeness of Moses. And we see that ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. It's not surprising that Jeremiah, a, a prophet, would write prophetic-like words. He's declaring the truth that the Lord is good to those who wait for him. Like, this is how it is. Here's what it is. Come seek God. Obey him. His, his prophet part is, is coming out. In fact, if you know much of Jeremiah's story, in, in Jeremiah chapter 1, he has this moment where God calls him. And God basically is like, I will be with you. I'll be for you. I'll protect you. But then when you get to chapter 20, Jeremiah is thrown in a dungeon. He, he's not doing well. He's been declaring these prophecies. Hey, if you don't turn around and change, Babylon's going to come in. People don't want to hear it. So they throw him in a dungeon. He gets locked in a cage. And at that point, Jeremiah is just like, oh, God, you said back in chapter 1, you'd be with me. And yet he says, but your word is like a fire shut up in my bones. I cannot contain it. He is a prophet who has to declare God's truth. So even here in his weeping and wailing, he declares God's truth. He's acting like a prophet because he knows that that's part of what people desire. 
He also points out how many people they desire a priest. Notice verse 24. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. There's something in us that longs for connection with God. The the role of the priest was to represent the people to God and God to the people because they want this connection. There was something within humanity that was scared of God. He was powerful, and so they came somewhat in fear, so they kind of wanted someone else to step in the way, to to be that mediator, to be like that, that screen, to help protect them from the righteousness and wrath of God. And so we see that they want God. They want this portion, but they, they're longing for someone to, to kind of be in that way. They're wanting a priest. But then probably most of all, what the people wanted was that king, as we saw last week. And I see these in verses 22 and 23. It says that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Those are probably the most famous words in all of Lamentations. Some of you, it's because you know the song. There are certain people in the room who are too young to know the song. I'm giving Jake a hard time because I'm like, hey, Jake, there's this like, song. and he texts me that goes, I don't know that song. Like, you do know the song? Okay, yeah. He, he's like, I don't know that. I'm like, oh, great. Make me feel old. Make, make me feel old. It's, it, in his defense, it is from 1974, I found out. So it, it is, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's old. Um, but remember what a king does. A king provides direction. They provide guidance. They, 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 they kind of oversee the whole entire kingdom. You wanted a king in order to feel protected. These verses would have acted very kingly. They would help to remind the people of God's direction, of God's presence. It would provide protection. Just that reminder here is all of their friends have been either killed or taken away. That the steadfast love of the Lord still, it it never ceases. God's love had not ended when Babylon came in. God still loved them passionately. He was for them. He was going to one day return the Jewish people back to the, the land. His love never ceases. His, his mercies never end. They are new and fresh every morning. They needed that guidance, that protection, those words of encouragement. So the people would read these words and be encouraged because these words would fill in a little bit like a prophet, a priest, or a king. But I feel like they just so very clearly declare that what we need and long for isn't just some intense prophet declaring God's truth, some great high priest who can step in the gap, or some king who can lead us to war and win. What we deeply and desperately need is God himself. But the people missed it. They didn't realize it. They thought they couldn't come to God. And after all, as they studied the Old Testament scriptures, There were certain things in there that made them think, well, we're looking for some sort of human, some great Messiah. Because it was God himself who told them he was going to raise up a prophet like Moses. So they're looking for someone like Moses. Someone who would be from among the people who would rise up and be great and declare God's truth. It was God who said he would bring about a priest in the order of Melchizedek. And so they're looking for that great priest who would come and step into that gap. It was God himself who declared that he would bring a a king who would be in the line of David. It's just never in their wildest dreams did they think that God himself would fulfill all of that. 
Because you see, it was God himself who came and took on human flesh, became a Jewish man to live among the Jews and rise up out and be that prophet like Moses. It was God who brought, who came into human flesh and thus could be the absolute perfect priest because he was fully human so he could represent humans to God, but he was also fully God so he could perfectly represent God to humans. And he was the one who came And was born of a descendant of David. Even born in Bethlehem, the city of David. To show he had the right and authority to be that king. It's just he didn't come to overthrow the Roman Empire. He came to overthrow the empire of sin. It was right there in front of them the whole time. But they were missing it. There were verses like this. Psalm 45. Verse 7. It says that basically it starts describing this king. And then it declares that that king is God. Or in Isaiah 7, 14, says that this Messiah would be born of a virgin and his name would be Emmanuel, God with us. Or how about over in Isaiah 9, verse 6, that we learn about this child that will be given us. A son will be born and his name would be Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Or in Jeremiah 23, 6, we see that this Messiah will be named the Lord our righteousness. Not just the Lord is righteous or the Lord brings righteousness. No, he is the Lord, our righteousness. God in human flesh representing us to go to a cross, to die for our sins and exchange his, our sin for his righteousness. They longed for, they needed something, someone, but never in their wildest dreams did they realize that it was going to be God himself. They needed God to come, to heal, and to restore. And the same goes for you. You may not be Jewish. You may not have experienced your friends being carted off to Babylon. Like right now, the the greatest stress you might have is, I I still need to get my Christmas shopping done. And I've only got seven days left. And yet you still need God. You you need more than just that prophet. You need more than just a priest. You need more than just a king. You need it all wrapped up in the person of Jesus. And you need him more than Christmas presents. You need him more than a promotion. You need him more than an increase in your bank account. You need him more than a, 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 a solution to the health crisis. You need him more than all that stuff. All those things are needed and good, but they're so often temporary. Because so often you get the relationship, and over time, that just brings more problems. Or you get the promotion, and then over time, you have more complications. Or you get the solution, and then you discover another issue. What you need, first and foremost, is God himself. And I think deep down, you know this. I think deep, deep down, You know that what you need more than all the things that are on your Christmas wish list is God. Did did you notice that in there, in verse 24, where he says, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. In other words, Jeremiah is saying that the deepest part of me, the deepest part of a human longs for God. You were created for union with God. Blaise Pascal, the great mathematician, 
said this. There is a God-shaped vacuum. Uh, sorry, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man, which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the Creator, made known through Christ, through Jesus Christ. You may think there are these things you want. You may think that this is what I desire. But your soul, who you are at the deepest level, longs for God. If you are not a follower of Jesus, you have an awareness of God, but you know deep down you've never fully given your life to Christ, then my invitation is to let today be your spiritual birthday. This season, we are celebrating the birth of Christ. I would love to celebrate your spiritual birth. Most people, when they realize that this story is true, that there really is a triune God who sent his son, who took on human flesh, lived the only sinless life that's ever lived, but went and died in the sinner's place on a cross, when they realize that this crazy story is actually a true story, they usually mark the moment in prayer. They're, they're usually saying, God, I confess my sin. I've been separated from you. And now I realize that you've come to bridge the gap. You've brought me into this relationship with you through Jesus and I thank you for that. And so because Jesus gave his life for me, I'm going to give my life to follow you. In just a moment, we're going to spend some time in prayer. I'm going to create space for you to pray and have that conversation with God. And if today is your spiritual birthday, would you just mark that on your connection card? There's a spot on the back that, you know, today I'm going to begin to follow Jesus. It isn't so we can, you know, tally as many marks as we can. It's to simply begin a conversation because we genuinely want to help you. When you walked in our building, you saw the, the wall. Our goal is to help you to live like Jesus lived and love like Jesus loved. And so let us know so we can begin to help you in that process to become more like Jesus. But some of you, you've made a decision like this. You can remember the day maybe when you said a prayer. Maybe you've grown up in church and this is all you've ever known and you've given your life to follow Jesus. And yet, if you're honest with yourself right now, he is not your portion. He's your side. Yeah, you're here on a Sunday. You spent the time to connect online or you listen to a podcast. But yet, your life right now is filled with your schedule, your relationships, your to-do list, and God just kind of gets the leftovers. But you were made for union with Christ. There's a God-shaped vacuum in you that will only be filled by Jesus. God's mercies are new every morning. He's not sitting in heaven mad at you for putting him on the other side. He's using today as the reminder, the invitation to let him come back and be the center, to be your all. So whether today is going to be your, your, your spiritual birthday or today you're, you're kind of giving it back to God, may you just take this next holy moment in communion to give it all to him. So with that, I'll invite the uh, band to, to come up on stage um, and uh, invite Zion to, to drop the lights. Uh, if you're a first-time guest with us, we celebrate communion almost every single Sunday. Uh, you'll notice the tables over on the sides. Uh, there are just these cups there. Um, and uh, when, uh, during the song, whenever you feel led, you can go to that. Uh, if you're a first-time guest, uh, if you are a follower of Jesus, we invite you to also participate. To be a follower of Jesus means that there was some time in your life where you said kind of what I described. You confessed your sin, you gave your life to God, and he's now the center. Now, maybe you've been not walking with him closely, and, and he's brought you here today because he's saying, I want you, I love you, I'm for you. And so this is part of that reconnection. But 
if, if that's you, then, then come, participate. Those elements remind us that Jesus' body was broken for us. His blood was shed for us. He's been the great high priest who didn't just come to represent us to God and God to us. He became the actual lamb. He's the sacrifice. The penalty for our sin was death. He took our death so that we could have his life. If you know this story, please come. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, you still got questions, then I'm glad you're here and please bring those questions to us. We want to do everything we can to help you in this journey. But we're just going to ask that you just very respectfully not go to these elements. It isn't because we're trying to keep something from you. It's just that there's something more important. I invite you during the song to just spend the time in prayer asking God, is this true? If it is true, will you let this now be your time to give your life to him? And if you still have questions, may you write those on the connection card. May you send us an email. May we help you to understand that there is a God who came. For those of you who are coming, I can't think of any better way for us to understand Lamentations 3 than to take those elements, open them up, and put them into us. Because what better way for us to understand the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases than to remember Jesus on the cross? What better way for us to remember that his mercies never come to an end, that they are new every morning, than to see Jesus crucified in our place? What better reminder is there that the Lord is our portion by seeing that Jesus went to the cross to purchase us from the clutches of sin so that we could be his portion? What better way for us to be reminded that the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. The thing is, we don't have to wait any longer. Jesus has gone to the cross and salvation is here. If you are in that salvation, may you come and celebrate. If you need to repent, may you come and repent. If you need to pray and give your life to Jesus, may you do so. But may we do these next few moments in remembrance of him. Heavenly Father, I now ask for your Holy Spirit to do what only you can do. As we stop talking, I pray your talking would begin. That you would say what only you can say to the hearts and minds that are here, who are listening, who are connecting. God, there is something deep within us that wants you, that longs for you. And I pray right now that our very souls would cry out to you, the living God. Father, as we sing, as we pray, as we partake, may you be in this holy moment. Because this is all about you, about your steadfast love, about your mercies, about your heart for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray.